0: I want to introduce to you my friend Reggie Screen. He's a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination, and he is actually over church planting for the, the southeast, and uh, Reggie's planted a church himself, and just a dear brother in the Lord who happens to live here in Lawrenceville and planted a church in Lawrenceville years ago and has just given his life to church planting. And today we're going to get to hear from him specifically on this idea of reconciliation. And he, when I asked him to preach, I I begged him to preach to us on this because we have much to learn from this brother. And the idea of reconciliation is this: because God has reconciled us to Himself through His Son Jesus, that changes everything. It changes how we relate to one another. It changes how we see each other. It changes how we live our lives. And there is much we have to learn as a church in the community that God's called us to. And we just humbly submit ourselves to the work that Jesus wants to do in and through his church here in Lawrenceville this morning. And so I'm going to read uh, the text for this morning, and then I'll pray for Reggie, and he'll, he'll, he'll dig in with us. The passage we're going to be looking at comes from Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 23 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained upon in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common, neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we, we thank you, God, that you've done the miraculous work of reconciling us to you. But when, I, when I hear this passage and and you say that you found no one. This is written before Jesus came on the scene. And He is the one that you have found. He is the one that you have sent on our behalf to reconcile us, to make us new, to give us grace so that we can live as reconcilers on this earth. And so, Father, You are reconciling the world to Yourself through the work of Your church and the work of Your Son here. And Jesus, we just want to go deeper into that this morning. And so we we ask uh, that you'd be among us, that you'd be with us, that you would speak to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: So I'm here because we really need each other, we represent Christ. I say in a sense of the continuation of the Incarnation because Christ himself lives in and through us and he wants to do something in and through us and that he wants us to, to uh, demonstrate something to the world. Amen. So uh, I woke up this morning and I was, I was thinking about, okay, Lord, how do I keep getting myself in these situations where I'm a heavily melanated brother? talking to predominantly white congregations about things most of them don't want to hear. It's a tough conversation and a tough sale. But the, the truth of the matter is our nation, I think is in trouble. And I think it has something to do with this Genesis. We have a horrible history that we seemingly will not um, embrace and repent from. And I see two particular things that's happening. Uh, and, and, and let me just give you a little statement here. I'm, I'm a black guy. I've been black all my life. So I, th- this, this talk will have a heavily black, white paradigm or perspective. And I just need you to know that, that I know that there are Asians and Hispanics and other groups, so just, just before you go there. So, amen. Now, in the white community, there is a struggle, and I'm just re- really figuring this out over 40 years of just thinking about this and praying about this and studying about this of identifying and connecting with the pain in the communities of color. It's like a blind spot. And many people of color can't understand that. And so I'm not gonna even try to connect there with you about my pain. I'll tell you a little bit about it because I got the floor, but I'm not gonna try to connect there. I wanna connect out of your curiosity and hopefully connect out of your mission, joint mission. Does that make sense? So I have several white friends. I try to mix them up. I, I, I really like it, like talking to the 60 year olders plus because they just, once you can get them to talk, they just tell it to you like it is, right? And so I said, okay, here's the deal. I need an intro for my sermon. And I said, what I want you to do, I want you to, and now listen, I'm not gonna label you as a racist. I want you to tell me what you really think about this whole racial reconciliation deal. They said, you're not gonna call me a racist? I said, yep. I thought they wouldn't put it on paper. I thought they would just call me like one of them did. The Presbyterian brother said, to call me. The other ones put it on paper. <clears throat> so here's some of the things they said. All right, you ready for it? This is just, I, I'm. The curiosity piece it says slavery was a long time ago lynchings were decades ago why do you see yourselves as victims and what should i do about it and why should i do anything about it number two i don't believe in white privilege why should i three if i lean into what you're saying aren't you just going to demand reparations Black people are prejudiced too, Reggie. Why don't you start with them? Isn't the problem really uh, a problems about homes without fathers, unwed mothers, black on black crime? Why do all black people? And not all. Black people vote for Democrats. Well, well, that I mean, that doesn't necessarily include me. But but he felt the need to emphasize all. Vote for Democrats when they are a big part of the problem. Now, this is just, I'm just reporting the news, ABC News here. Um, Do you understand why I get mad when rich NFL players take a knee before the game? What do you want me to do about all this? Every culture, neighborhood, and family has prejudice. Inner city blacks don't like Korean grocers, I do. But that's another story. Why is, it, uh, why is this about what white people think about black people? The media is the biggest culprit. Why are blacks still wanting to tear down Confederate statues? It's history. I don't really care anything about that. But anyway, and then he says, why is it that only black boys that get shot by the cops make the news? In regards to black and white, I told you before Reggie, slavery happened 100 plus years ago needs to go away. I feel black people are holding on to history and now feel entitled or they are owed something for something that that happened to their race and because their race had slaves. And I just put, hmm, maybe some of these may be some of your questions or statements too. So are these just, These questions and what I'm going to talk about today, just social issues, or do they have gospel implications? That's the question, isn't it? Our text today in Ezekiel talks about the idolatry and injustice that was happening of that day, and practically every person in the civil and the religious institutions had gone, they had gone astray. The princes, it says, were destroying lives for dishonest gain. The priests, he said, well, can't tell the difference between sacred and secular, right and wrong. They try to pull God into the situation, but it was still about consumeristic practices, the economy. The politicians, it says, like wolves taking what they wanted. You know, today we will say they enter... Uh, public service would not, maybe not too much money, and they leave out wealthy. The prophets, he says, cover up for the politicians pretending to receive visions and special revelations from the Lord and that they hear from God, but they did not. The people, he said, well, extortion, robbery, the poor and needy were abused, outsiders were kicked around, with no access to justice it was just all about economic strength I want to tell you I had something else that I wanted to preach I told Ryan I said man I'm going to soft pedal this one I said I got a nice sermon over in second Corinthians 10 I can encourage your people about getting the need for reconciliation and just be real nice get in and out and then the Lord says no I want you to talk about becoming healers of the breach So this is where we are. We have a big problem in our society, but I think we have a bigger problem in the church. So according to scripture, the Bible wants us to live out our covenant realities together as a body of Christ made up of different groups. And we ought to share a joint mission together. My point today is God is calling his people to actively live out both righteousness that's identity in Christ and justice, representation, so that we can heal the breach in society. Emphasis of righteousness and justice so that we can heal the breach in society. Uh, that should not be a new idea for us. Tony Evans, one of my favorite guys, once said, The problem is not the sinner. Sinners is opposed to sin. The problem is that the saints who are often more sinful than the sinning sinners continue to carry on in sin. We're called to be different. We're called to be the pillar, to 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 be the pillar and support of truth. If anybody wants to know what God looks like, they should just show up in this place and be able to see that. Amen. And so he says here, God says, This is the condition. Then he says, I have a solution. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, make a wall of truth, or make a wall of justice, make a wall of intercession, like a brick mason, you see, and stand in the gap, rupture, stand in the rupture, the tear, the shuddering, the breach of society. Before me, he says, as my proxy, as my representative, On behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I did not find one. So I got created a little grid here based on Psalm eighty nine fourteen, and I'm gonna have to turn around to see it here. Psalm eighty nine fourteen says What read it with me please? Righteousness and justice are the So there are two aspects or two major pillars of God's throne. And what are they? Now, as I've traveled around the country and gone to different places, I've seen one thing or two things. And and I'll explain it to you on the the, the, uh, graph here. So let's say here that a person has low relationship A low righteousness focus and they have a low justice focus you know what they normally say there ain't a problem there's no problem what are you talking about no problem at all Ryan is totally unnecessary we will not be back to that church I need to go find me a church that doesn't focus on righteousness and justice number two if a person is low on righteousness and relationships and high on justice they normally you're finding them somewhere protesting protest you go yeah i know some of those people protesters number three if a person is high on relationship and low on justice they say, man all we need is love let's just talk about what jesus did for us and it's all going to be fine And the last one is when we get people who are high on righteousness and relationship and high on justice, you normally get breakthrough and you get reconciliation. Now here's what I normally see. In the white churches, you guys are theologians on which one? Don't be afraid of me. Anybody out there still? Say it again. Righteousness. Slice 10 million in 62 ways. Righteousness, 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 grace, righteousness, 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 right, righteousness. And then you go to the churches of color, where, what do you normally hear? Justice, 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 and more justice. Now, which one is right? Oh, See, what we need is take some of this righteousness-centered and justice-centered and mix it together, and we get what we call the foundation of the throne of God, and we start to see God break through. We should not allow anyone to tell us anything differently, different. Are you still out there? I think I heard the church mouse running across the back. It's quiet in here. I'm hoping it's just because you're Presbyterian and you're not, you know, just that. Yes, uh, oh, the pen drive. Okay, that's the pen drive. Oh, oh, pen. Oh, that's what's happening. The processing like that. Gotcha. Revelation. Did it? Did, did that statement or that illustration I just give you make sense? Okay. And so instead of making each other wrong, we need to reach across the aisle to the other person and say, expert in righteousness, show me what you have. Expert in justice, I wanna hear what your story is. Now, I want to quickly hit, I said seven characteristics, but my time is already flying. And so I'm gonna hit maybe six or less if we're going to be healers of the breaching society. You ready? Number one uh, is proximity or we must live among them, the scripture says in the text earlier, he said, I was choosing a man that lived among them. And so, you know, we have to, what I call, to be people who live on sight with insight, right? We fight everything. But we just need to pause and listen and say, Lord, what are you saying in this situation and how am I to represent you? Right. Sometimes I feel like we get so caught up with the either Fox News or CNN News or whoever the talking heads are that we lose lose our ability to live among people, hear what they say, and then represent God in that situation. The sons of Issachar, it says in 1 Chronicles, it says, For the tribe of Issachar, there were, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. And these men understood the what? Sign of the times and knew how to, knew the best course for Israel to take. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you know the people you live among? Do you understand them? Do you understand what they like? Do you understand what they fear? Do you understand their history? You see, the the talking heads give us a single story, but the truth is you don't have a single story, and neither do I. I'm a very complicated individual with a bunch of stuff, some good and some bad, but I have a story. Do you understand their heroes and their biography? Do you understand the significant events that have happened in their lives? Or has someone else written the script for you about what blacks and whites and Asians and Latinos and whoever else, uh, you know, what they are? I have a friend that's my neighbor. His name is Sam. Now, Sam has been living beside beside me for about 12 years now. I still can understand about about one out of every 20 words. He's from southern India. And when Sam moved in, I noticed he was a little bit skittish. And after we built a relationship, Sam said, I'm just ashamed to say this. I'm sorry to say this. He said, but you don't fit any of the script that that, that I learned about before I moved from India to New York and New York here. He said, I thought you were going to be like gangbanger, thug, dangerous, I said, I don't even know any of those people, Sam. And so Sam uh, came up a little while ago, and he wanted to just profess in the appropriate way how he loved me and my family. You see, Sam broke down uh, the the paradigm that he had or the way he saw me because he got to know who I was, and I've been invited into his house, and he's been invited to my house. So one of the things we have to do is take the time— Take the time to get to know each other because it's only by getting to know each other that you're gonna be able to rewrite the scripts. Watch
2: this. One Sunday morning on a subway in New York City, people were sitting very quietly, some reading, some resting with their eyes closed. Suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children ran yelling to the car, throwing things grabbing people's newspapers. Their father sat down near me and closed his eyes and did nothing. I felt irritated. I could not believe he would let his children run wild like that. After a few minutes of patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them just a little more.
1: Yeah, you're right. I should...
0: do something. But we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and
1: I guess they don't know how to handle it.
2: I guess I don't know how to handle it. Can you imagine how I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I acted differently. My irritation vanished. Compassion flowed freely. I wanted to help instead of criticizing and complaining. Right, did you see the point?
1: Proximity, getting involved, living among people, all right, stepping out to be God's representative, but getting to know people too, right? I wonder what would happen if you intentionally did, did that this week. Number two, let's see, because I, I want to skip something. I, no, I do want to say this. <clears throat> why is this. Why is this important, right? Why do we need to take these trips? You know, it was um, Mark Demas that says that said, today, almost 87% of churches are segregated by race and class and are 10%, and 10% more segregated than the neighborhoods they are in, and 20% more segregated than the public schools. He goes on to say, little has changed in the last 100 years, and we have reached the point in history where our disunity is negatively impacting our ability to credibly advance the gospel in this incredibly diverse time. Dave Olson said between 1990 and 2009, 56 million people came became American citizens through birth and through legal immigration, legal immigration uh, because I don't want to turn off too many ears. legal immigration in the U.S. and only 446,654 became active in a local church. This is less than 1% and shocks us into the reality that very few, he said, no one, pe- no one is listening to us and joining or joining us. And he goes on to say, why is this important? It is, be- it is important because we preach the gospel of God's love and righteousness for all people from otherwise systemically segregated churches. And it undermines the credibility of the gospel that we live and love something is desperately wrong and so we must know and understand and live among the people number two quickly here if we're going to be healers of the breach it will take living with prophetic insight before me so we need to be able to hear what God says through God's word and live that out I won't I won't say much of that but I want to say this right here this word has to be over even what I learned from my mother and father So my grandfather, I was adopted by my grandfather. He was born in 1909. You do the math. So he saw all kinds of stuff. Daughters raped. He saw, you, I mean, you name it. And so his, his, he raised 10 kids. One got killed. Then he adopted my brother, Chris, and then he adopted me. And then he, his words was this, son, you can never trust a white person. Now, where was that coming from? His experience. So what did I have to do with that? I have to take this, what he said. My grandfather, who adopted me, who I love, gave me that. I have to check it, fact check it against the word of God. And I said, you know what, Dad? You taught me a lot of good things, but I can't try I can't wear that one. prophetic insight before God. number three, if we're going to be healers of the breach, we need to take us we need to take uh, living as priest seriously. He says before he says behalf of the land. He, want us, he wants us to live on behalf of the land. And so he said, Acts 17, 26 and 27 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he actually is not far from each uh, one of us. Do you know how people find God? It's through human instrumentation most of the time and so we ought to live in connection with those people. We are absolutely responsible for our geography. Did you know that? And so you can put a pin in it. You take this church right here. I don't know what your your resource capacity is. And you put maybe a mile circle or a two mile circle. And you are responsible for everything in that geography. And and so he goes, well, I can't reach that people. Then you find the partnership to reach people to do that like that. So listen, I heard a story that broke my heart uh, uh, regarding Gandhi and... Gandhi's interest in the gospel. Did you know that Gandhi, Gandhi, Indian Gandhi, had a, a, a severe interest in the gospel? But it was how he was treated by Christians that turned him off. Watch, listen to this. You've heard half the story, but not all of it. Mahatma Gandhi is one of the most respected leaders in modern history. A Hindu, Gandhi never nevertheless admired Jesus and often quoted from the Sermon on the Mount. Once, when the missionary E. Stanley Jones met with Gandhi, he asked him, Mr. Gandhi, though you, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? Gandhi replied, oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. I just, it's, just, it's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Apparently, Gandhi's rejection, it goes on to say, of Christianity grew out of an incident that happened when he was a young man practicing law in South Africa. He had become attracted to the Christian faith. He studied the Bible and the teachings of Christ and was seriously exploring becoming a Christian. And so he decided to attend a church service. As he, beca- as he came up the steps of a large church where he had intended to go, a white South African elder of the church barred his way at the door. Where do you think you're going, Kaffir? The man said to Gandhi in a belligerent tone of voice. Gandhi replied, i like to worship here. The elder of the church snarled at him. There's no room for Kaffirs in this church. Get out of here or I have my assistants throw you down the steps. From that moment Gandhi said he decided to adopt what he what good he found in Christianity, but he would never again consider becoming a Christian if it meant becoming a part of a church. How we treat people who are not like us absolutely matters. Let me see how much I. You still out there? Okay. Okay. I always prepare too much have to figure out what to cut on the fly. Now, now, you would say, well, that was way back when. Now, I was just two months ago in a church down in c in in, Church um, in Birmingham that was just coming out of a 30-something year slide because they met King at the door when he would do the pray-ins. He and associates with the shotgun and said, if you come in here, we will kill you. Right, That church went from 1,500 down to nothing in a matter of time because it, was not, it did not represent a hill of the breach. Good to say, and I'm glad to report, that we had a, a, a workshop there that, was, that dealt with this very thing, and it had 50, of the, 50 dynamic leaders there. So they've repented, they've owned it, but for almost 30 years, for almost 50 years, they wouldn't own it. They would just deny it. They would just deny it. Now, there's two things here as I transition that I see in this text, <clears throat> um, and you see, in, well, I see in the meta-narrative of a Scripture, but in this particular text, that there are two postures that seriously gave me trouble. Number one is the denial piece, and number two is the distress piece. Now, in my research regarding denial, denial, not the Nile River, denial, right? I came across a lady, a Harvard grad named Katrina Brown. You might want to write that name down. She did a documentary called The Traces of the Trade. She, she found out that she was a, an ancestor of the infamous DeWolf family, and check this out, from Bristol, Rhode Island, all right? And so, you know, I would say it was the South, but the North was pretty tough too, right? The DeWolf family built its fortune on buying and selling human beings and they were the most successful, if you can say that, slave-trading family in the United States history. I didn't even know about them until I found out about this lady. Now, James DeWolf was a U.S. senator and at the time of his death it was reported that he was the second richest guy in America. Guess how he got so rich? Now, the DeWolf family basically bankrolled everything in the community in that area era even the Episcopal Church and the pastors and the, and, and, the, and the leaders. Now, Katrina said something, the reason I mentioned this to you, that caught my attention regarding denial. She, she and nine of her relatives took on this case because they wanted to understand what, uh, something about their family. And so they asked the question, how could this history be so massive and they, know not, they didn't know anything about it? And so when they began to research, she said there was an unwritten code that they found in the community that I think is a, that applies to today. Never talk about politics in public. Never talk about what would be the second one. You've heard it before. What was the second one? Religion. You know what the third one was? Never talk about blacks. Denial. You know, God's greatest gift to us, I think, or one of the greatest gifts God has for us, is called repentance. You know how he says the kingdom of God comes? It comes through in Mark 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says the kingdom of God comes through repentance and believing. Why is it that when we do something, if something is obviously off, we have such a hard time of just saying, you know what? You probably said it to your wife a million times, right, Brian? I'm sorry or how do I I fix that? And so denial, politics, religion, and black, just deny. So some of you right now might even be in denial about the statement I just made. Uh, This lady here I want you to take a look at because I think she kind of sets it up on what's going on today. Before you run the, the, the clip, Many of my Caucasian friends will say, hey, Red, what are you making such a big deal about? Things are pretty good, right, for you? There's no problem. When I normally ask them this question, or I say, let me pray for you that you'll be able to walk in my shoes, that there's normally a red thing that comes over them, and they say, that's not fair. Watch this.
2: I want every white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our citizens, our black citizens, if you as a white person would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. You didn't understand the directions. If you white folks want to be treated the way blacks are in this society, stand. Nobody's standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening, you know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you're so willing to accept it or to allow it to happen for others.
1: So I said, I'm here because I need you. So what we don't want, and I don't want condemnation, but what we need is honesty. We, we need to be able to say, you know, there's a significant problem. Now, here's what I can say. So there's some significant behavior problems in the black community. But it still doesn't, that doesn't give the right to say totally discredit, uh, discredit a whole group of people. Like so, so I said the first one is denial, the second one is distress. And this is what I want to end my message on. I don't know, I mean, how many people of color in here and how old are you? But I don't know too many people of color who don't live a life in distress. You ever heard driving while black? That's a very real thing. I've, I serve in a denomination that is predominantly in the South here. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the only piece of pepper at the table most of the time. <clears throat> a lot of times it's distressing. So here's, here's the point I want to talk about. So I was, uh, about two years ago, I was having a real tough time. I mean, like, I didn't know whether I could stay in evangelicalism. Tough time. Um, because of the things that were happening to me. And so I would try to talk to some of my buddies about it. I said I was only a piece of pepper at the table, right? Euphemism for salt and pepper, right? You know, black and white. So. I would talk to him and I would go, man, you know, I'm having a hard time processing all this stuff on the news about, you know, this police stuff and seeing these guys in the street. I said, it's done something to me. And this is what I would get back. It would be like, Reg, just just wait until the investigation is finished. You will see that those people deserve to die. I'm like, no, I didn't hear what you just said. I didn't hear that. It was recited over and over and over again and something began to break in me my daughters I have four daughters well my 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 prefer, the oldest one's immigrant very sharp and smart and she would talk to me talk to me about things and my little my little uh 10 11 year old would talk to me about certain things and I'm like that they're struggling and so when I would talk to try to talk to my brothers again they would just, they wouldn't hear it out. So I said, "Okay, I think I'm out. I've given twenty-something years to this, and I'm out." It was. Be, it would be like you saying, "Ryan, I need to talk to you." He go, I don't, "I don't. You, you, you're gonna figure out that it's all what you're feeling and what you're sensing. That's that's nothing to it. After a while, it's gonna shut you down." So before I checked out, I went to see this guy named John Perkins. He's an old civil rights guy, uh, one of the first black evangelical leaders. Um, And he, I drove to Jackson, Mississippi. He's 88 years old now. He was 86 at the time. I drove in with my daughter. Jackson's not a place that I really want to be. (laughs) Come to think of it. First clue should have been when they had to pull my car in the gate and lock it back there. But anyway, that's another story. And so he sat down and he said, so Dr. Screen, I read your bio. I'm talking about the distress piece as well. He said, I read your bio. And he said, why did you come to see me? I told him, we talked a little bit. We talked about two hours, and he said, Dr. Screen, you know why I can minister across the lines, black and white and whatever? I said, no, sir. He said, because I'm not angry. And like a bomb, the Holy Spirit just exploded in my mind because I was. The fourth thing is we're going to be healers of the breach. We have to to watch the emotions that we, we deal with. I was angry. It was like a weight came off of me. And by him saying it, because, see, this is a guy that had been in the 70s, beaten all night. If you pull up his shirt, he's got scars all over for trying to register people to vote. He could say, I'm not angry. I said, oh, my goodness. So that was about 11 o'clock the night. I went to bed, uh, dealt with the Lord, and then I got up the next morning. We had breakfast, and he said, he gave me the 15. He said, if I'm going to be a healer, the breach. He said, Dr. Screamy, he said, listen... He said, you know, when they were beating me in the jail, what they would do, they would beat me, and then when I would come to, they would give me the mop and make me mop up my own blood. He said, in my head. He said, I thought I was going to die. And he said, the last time I was about to go out, I said to myself, if, 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 if I had a, 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 an atomic hand grenade, I would take it and pull, pull the plug and kill us all. He said... He had said before that, why are these maggots doing to me? And then the Lord reminded him, your reaction is greater than their action. And therefore the fifth thing, if we're gonna be a healers of the breach, we need to know how to stay in a humble place because as human beings, there I say the grace of God, we all have the capacity. Martin Luther King said at best, the doctrine of black tyranny is just as evil as the doctrine of right tyranny. Last point, and the church said, amen. Do <laughs> you follow me? I'm almost through. I'm landing the plane. Be angry, sin not. Have your emotions. Your ang- emotion may not be angry, it may be fear. In fact, when I get honest with most white, white folk, they tell me that I'm, a, I'm afraid of you. And I say, why? I'm a teddy bear. I'm gonna hug you to death. But I wish I had a little, little bit of street in me. You know what I'm saying? It's like in, in my baddest moments, it'd like, oh, teddy bear. Don't call me teddy bear, bru- bruiser or something. Last point. I say I got it. And then I, he says, uh, I misheard him in the last point. He said, uh, I thought he said, you are to give dignity to all men. So here's this little frail 86-year-old man. I said, I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to get out of Jackson. I'm ready to get out of Jackson, right? My little daughter's with me. She's 10 years old. I mean, she's like ready really to get out of Jackson. So he says, <clears throat> I said, I get it, doctor. I get it. I'm to give men dignity. He jumped up. He said, no, you are not to give men. You don't give dignity to anybody. You don't have the power to do that. God has already done that. You simply affirm what is already there. I said, "I got it. I'm ready to go." And so, about that time, I got ready to get in my car, them. Well, I was packing my bag, and this guy pulled up from like Jackson Ward or something. He was a good old boy. Now I know I've known him because I've seen him a thousand times growing up in my father's uh, grandfather's place. So he pulled up like he owned the place. And I forgot about anger, humility. It's like, who is this joker, right? So John Perkins came to the door, and he, he looked at me and looked at the guy, looked at me, looked at the guy. Then I said, I'm going on inside. And then I went inside for about 10 minutes, came back, and John was hanging out the door, and you would have thought that they were best friends. And before he left, the guy left, and he pulled me to the side. He said, That screen, he said, anybody can love people who treat them well. Like them? Can you love somebody that doesn't treat you well? I told you it's about affirming dignity even when they don't act like it. Can you? Can you affirm dignity? Will you be humble? Will you control your emotions? Will you serve as priest and prophet? If we can galvanize these things and start walking, I believe. We can be healers of the breach. The scripture said I sought for a man among them. Could you put the last scripture up again? I sought for a man among them who would stand up, who would, should build up a wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. What would be said about you? I believe God has a specific calling on this church, and specifically because, stand with me, sir, because this is in the heart of this guy. What would be said about you? Let's pray. Father, it's never easy to hear about things like this, But we really aren't people running away from the battle. We're people running to the battle. We're not people who are controlled by the narrative that's been set by someone else. We're people who are controlled by the narrative that's already been set by Jesus. What I'm talking about today is not optional. We're really in a battle for who Names men. We're in a battle for the Imago Day. No matter what skin color we don, it really is about what you say about us. (laughs) And so, Lord, some of us are stuck. I please... Ask, I ask you, please, to nudge us along gently so that we can be a part of the solution. Our country needs help, but more so than our country needs help, our church needs help. And what about the children? Lord, we want to break the generational junk that's been passed down and be healers of the breach. I pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks, Reg. This is in my heart because this is in God's heart. When people, I told people that I, our, uh, <laughs> our family wanted to move to Lawrenceville and plant a church people in Atlanta, and they said, why would you want to go to Lawrenceville? Why would you want to go to Gwinnett County? And um, this is why. You don't have it all together, and you don't either. You were probably offended today. Everybody probably was. That's how we know we're probably in a pretty good place when nobody gets their way completely. It's what it's like to be the church. It's what it's like to be a family. Ephesians two says this for he himself is our peace, Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh to the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create get this one new man in the place of two. So by making peace, now he's talking about Jews and Gentiles here, but we get what it's like to be divided and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. This is what Jesus has come to do. Reggie's exactly right. The gospel, being reconciled with God has massive implications on being reconciled with one another. In church, we have the opportunity, we have the stage to be an example, to be an example to our city. There's no more diverse place in Georgia than right here. We have an example to, we have an opportunity to be an example to our country and to the world, that the Holy Spirit has power through the blood of Jesus.